Hey, dear God, that is so true. We need you. Every single one of us, we are broken with sin. We're enslaved to sin and we need you to rescue us from sin. And after you rescue us, we need you to continually grow us in the grace and knowledge of your Son, Jesus Christ. God, we need you every hour. We need you right now. No one needs me. We all need you to speak to us today. We need you to infiltrate and pierce our heart with your word. We need you through your Holy Spirit to convict us. We need you to lift us out continually of sin so that we may please, so that we may honor, so that we may have the joy that belongs to you. Right now in the quietness of your own heart, pray for a soft heart. Pray for a willing heart. Pray for ears to hear God's word. Dear God, we love you. We praise you. We give you all of the glory. We ask that you would work right now, as you have been, to build your body. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Right now, children, uh, nursery all the way to, to kindergarten are dismissed if they so wish to go. But we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. When you find it, please stand for the reading of God's holy word. First Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 7 to verse 12, reads, But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses in God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know... How like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. This is the truth. Amen? Amen. 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 You may be seated. As you sit, please listen to this brief story as I read it. It reads... A professional violinist was giving a concert 
When he finished, the crowd jumped up from their seats and gave him a standing ovation. He had delivered a magnificent performance. But the violinist, with his head down and tears coming down his face, walked off the stage dejected, torn with sadness. The stagehand saw him and said, why are you so sad? Those people are going crazy out there for you, and you're crying. I don't, I don't understand. The violinist pointed and said, do you see that one man in the center down there? He is sitting, and he is not clapping. The stagehand said, so what? There are 2,000 other people who are standing and still clapping. The violinist replied, that is true, but you don't understand that one man down there in the middle is my dad and my violin teacher. If he doesn't stand, it really doesn't matter what 2,000 other people do. That brief story perfectly, I think, perfectly illustrates the genuine believer's relationship with God. All the praise of man, all the praise of man does not matter. If the Heavenly Father is not pleased, the genuine believer will be torn with grief. Why? Because it is the purpose and it is or should be the greatest desire of every single believer to please God, to glorify God, to magnify the name of God. This is why Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, so whether we are at home or away, speaking of heaven or earth, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. This is why Paul's fervent and constant prayer for the church in Colossia is, we have not ceased to pray Cease to pray for you that you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him. This is why every believer is commanded in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, not to oneself, not to the crowd, but to God. This is why David says in Psalm 19, verse 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, the purpose and the deepest desire or should be the deepest desire of every believer is to what? It is to please God, to bring him glory. And when the believer knows that what they're doing is not pleasing to God, is not bringing glory. What does it bring to the believer? It brings this godly sadness. You guys all know this. If If I were to ever preach a sermon so eloquent, so 
powerful that the whole world stood up and started cheering uncontrollably. But that sermon was not pleasing to God. I didn't do it from a humble heart. It wasn't true to God's word. If it's not pleasing to God, what will happen? If I'm a genuine believer, I will be convicted by it. I'll be convicted by the Holy Spirit. And that conviction will lead to what? It will lead to godly sorrow. And what does godly sorrow lead to? It leads to repentance, a pushing aside of all that is not pleasing to God and a striving, a striving, a striving to with and an independence on the Holy Spirit to please God. This is the purpose and desire of every genuine believer. It's God, you have saved me. And out of tremendous thankfulness, I am going to strive in your power, the Holy Spirit, to please you with all that I am. And this is why our passage today is so incredibly vital. So incredibly vital. Today's passage, like last week, shows us what God-pleasing ministry looks like. What God-pleasing ministry looks like. For 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, it's about God's rescue. He rescued, he's worthy of praise, he rescued the Thessalonians. Last week we dove into chapter 2 and what did we see? We saw God's instruments, men who are ministering in a way that's well-pleasing to God and God used that. God used that to proclaim the gospel. God used that to save sinners. God used that to build the body of Christ. We saw last week that Paul, Timothy, and Silvanus, they had this boldness in God that was well-pleasing to God and God used. We saw that they had a fidelity to God's word. They would not compromise God's word. And that was well-pleasing to God. And God utilized that for his glory. We saw that they had a focus, that their focus was, we're going to please God, the text says, above men. It's God first above all, no matter what. And that's obviously pleasing to God, and God utilized that for his glory. And this week, in these verses, we're going to see three more ways that Paul Silvanus and Timothy functioned in a way that was pleasing to God. And subsequently, God used that to expand the kingdom of God. Listen, you and I, we all want to be pleasing to God. Amen? Amen. That is our deepest desire. And this text is teaching us. It's driving us to be Christ-like, pleasing unto God. And the first attribute that we see of Paul, Timothy, and Silvanus here is gentleness. Look at verse 7. But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Immediately after each one of my kids were born, What did the doctor do? The doctor did not give me the child. The doctor gave the child to Kimberly. And they immediately said, skin to skin. Put the child right here on your chest, skin to skin. And right after that, what does Kimberly attempt to do? She's supposed to, and she did, attempt to feed the baby. And when she was going to do that, she did not grab 
the newborn infant by the skull and ram that baby against her chest and say, come on, you've been alive for three seconds. You should know better. Latch on now. This is ridiculous. No, <laughs> she did not do that. No, with the utmost softness, she would hold the baby's head. With the utmost tenderness and care, she would hold the baby to her breast, trying to get the baby to latch on and feed and receive the much-needed nutrients that the baby needed. She was absolutely and totally gentle with that newborn baby. How did Paul, how did Silvanus and Timothy minister to the new believers in Thessalonica? They ministered with boldness. Absolutely. They ministered, we saw last week, with fidelity to the truth. We will not compromise. We will only proclaim the truth. Yes. They ministered with a focus that said, God first. We're here to please God. He is first and foremost. Yes. And at the very same time, they ministered with the gentleness of a nursing mother. And think about that. That makes sense. Why? Because the Thessalonians, they're new believers. And as such new believers, they didn't have a rich understanding of God's word. They didn't have a foundational prayer life. They had never, quote, done the church thing before. They were, spiritually speaking, what were they? They were just born. They were newborns in Christ. And as such, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, they gently discipled them in the faith. They didn't, metaphorically speaking, grab them by the skull and shove them against their chest and say, come on! You've been a Christian for three days already. Don't you know better? No. It was with a spirit of gentleness. Now, there are three qualifications that I need to make concerning this gentleness. The first is, gentleness is not synonymous with never correcting sin. Gentleness is not synonymous with never correcting sin. seen this six times, if a newly born child does not want to nurse, if one of the six did not want to nurse, Kimberly did not say, okay, no big deal. You want to starve? That's fine with me. No. She didn't say, do your own thing. I don't want to cause you to fuss. No. She corrected she gently, she lovingly, she caringly, she tenderly said, no, this is what you're supposed to do. You need these nutrients to survive. Gentleness is not never correcting sin. In fact, a gentle person will always correct sin. Always. The two are never mutually exclusive in any way, shape, or form. And just like a nursing mother, we're going to get to chapter 4, and he's going to, boom, He's going to say, correction time. And it's not the absence of gentleness at all. It's with the total presence of gentleness. Next clarification we need to say is gentleness is not the absence of just anger. Let me say it this way. 
who is the most gentle of all? God, right? Amen. Amen. Yes, that's true. Let's all nod our heads. That's true, right? God is the, you guys are like frozen. God is the most, right? He's the most tender there is. He's the most kind there is. There's no one more compassionate than God, amen? amen? There's no one more gentle. No one. All the time. At any point, any given point in all of history and the future and right now, there's no one more gentle than God. And at the very same time, Psalms verse se- chapter 7, verse 11 says, God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation when? Every day. Gentleness and just anger are not mutually exclusive. Just like correction and gentleness are not mutually exclusive. They come together. Let me say it this way. If Kimberly has a newborn, like she's holding Nathan, and she's nursing Nathan, and some screwball comes up and tries to mess with Nathan, at the very same time that she's being gentle, she's going to go after that person like a bear on a deer. It's not going to turn out. You do not want to experience the wrath of Kimberly. (laughs) Been there, done that. Not good. All right? But you see, the two are not, you could say Kimberly, in that moment when she's defending that child, she is being gentle and she is being justly angered at the same exact time. So when we get to chapter 4 and he lambasts sexual sin with the utmost vehemency, He's not not being gentle. It's two at the same time, never mutually exclusive. Gentleness is not synonymous, is not synonymous with never correcting sin. Gentleness is not the absence of just anger. Last one, last clarification is gentleness is a trait all believers, including myself, need to exude. Some may say, yeah, you know, Paul, Civilianus, and Timothy, they were gentle. John, you want to be gentle, but that's just not me. I mean, it's God's gift to me to rub people the wrong way. It's God's gift to me to be abrasive. It's not God's gift to me to be gentle like this. Gentleness, John, is not for everyone. No, that's a lie, Right? Because if we're a believer in Jesus Christ, you and I and everyone is filled with the Holy Spirit. And a product of being filled with the Holy Spirit, a fruit of the Holy Spirit is gentleness. No exceptions. Amen. None. Let me say it a different way. By what power did Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy exercise this gentleness towards the Thessalonians. It was not by the power of their personality. It was not because they were just a little more feminine than the other apostles. No. The reason they're able to exercise God-honoring gentleness is because they're leaning on the Holy Spirit for it. And in humbleness, they're accepting and they're following the leading of the Holy Spirit. Thus, they're able to produce the fruit of gentleness that is honoring to God. There are no exceptions. No exceptions. Doesn't matter how old and grumpy you are. Doesn't matter how young and immature you are. Doesn't matter if you're 39 like me. Oh, man. There's no excuse. Absolutely none. 
It's an always thing. If we want to be Christ-like, he is always gentle, then we are going to strive for this. So gentleness is not synonymous with never correcting sin. It's not the absence of anger. It's not a re- it is for all believers. In light of this, we're just going to dive into our first application. It's pray for gentleness. You and I cannot be gentle in a way that is honoring to God without God, right? It's a fruit not of John Wright. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit, So who must we lean on? Who must we go to if we want this spirit of godly gentleness pleasing to God to flow through us? We have to go to God in prayer. We have to lean on him. We have to say, God, help me. Please help me. So the application is pray, pray, pray. I don't think I've ever used that application before. It's pray, pray, pray. We need to be a church. We need to be individuals. We need to be a body of Christ that, yes, is firm in God's word. Fidelity to God's word no matter what. God's word first. God first. Bold. Gentle at the very same time. At the very, and you and I cannot do that. That is absolutely impossible. We need God. We need God. So we pray Pray, pray for the spirit of gentleness that pleases God and produces the joy of the Lord in our life. So the first trait we see here that we can exude like they did and so honor God is gentleness, gentleness, gentleness. Now let's look at the next one, which is sacrificial affection. Sacrificial affection. Look at verse 8. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. It's a simple fact. A godly mother will pour themselves out for God's glory to their kids. Will pour, will give of themselves for their kids. I see this in Kimberly every day. She homeschools the kids She cooks the meals for the kids, and for me, praise, I can't cook. Cares for the little one's injuries. She corrects, she disciplines, she encourages, she plays for God's glory. It's just pouring out 24-7. That's what a godly mom does. She sacrificially, with this sacrificial affection, pours it out. And that's what we're being called to here. Who did this the best? Jesus, Sunday school answer. Let's all say Jesus, one, two, three. Jesus. You turn to Philippians chapter two and it tells us that Jesus did what? He emptied himself, right? He emptied himself. And when it says he emptied himself, it does not mean he became less God because later we find he has the fullness of the deity dwelling in him. It does not mean he gave up any attributes of God. He was 100% man and 100% God the entire time. When it says he emptied himself out, it's speaking like a mother does, a nursing mother does for her child. She, he emptied himself out. He gave of his time. He gave of his life. He allowed himself to be misunderstood, misrepresented, mocked, beaten, hung on a cross. He poured himself out. 
That's Philippians chapter 2. Then what does Philippians chapter 3 say? Paul, in the likeness of Christ, poured himself out. And that's what they're saying here. Thessalonians, we poured ourselves out for you. And you and I, if we want to be pleasing to God, we sat with sacrificial affection. We pour our life out for God's glory for the body of Christ. Sacrificial affection. Now before I move on, there's something so key here. This really struck me. Look at verse 8. Notice the words affectionately desirous, or your translation may say fond affection. The Greek word there is homeromai. And guess where historians find this word the most? It's actually only used once in your Bible. Where do historians find this word, this sacrificial or fond affection? Where do they find it the most? They find it on the tombs of dead babies. Why would a parent put that word on that tomb? It's the parent's way of saying, wow, I would give anything. I would give anything to be with my child who has passed away and love them for one more second. Hold them again. That's, the, that's the, what the weight of this word is. It's that kind of affection. It's a, I long to see you like a mother longs to see her child that died. I need to show you love no matter the cost. And Paul didn't just say he had this love for the Thessalonians. He lived it out. Look at the verse 9. It says, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel. Listen, every godly mother pours themselves out for their kids, and if they're a godly mom, they're not expecting or demanding a salary, right? They're staying up feeding the kid throughout the night. They're doing all these things and it's not like, okay, it's not like Kimberly comes to me every night and says, I did this, I cleaned up this throw up, I brushed this person's teeth when they didn't want me to and they bit me. And <laughs> it's not saying I cooked this meal, this meal, this meal. Kimberly's never done that. Why? Because she has this sacrificial, I'll give anything for God's glory to the kids he's allowed me to steward. I, this deep sacrificial affection. And this is what Paul has and it's evidenced by the fact that this church, what happens? This church we know from 2 Corinthians chapter 8 was a poor church, was a destitute church. And Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy don't say, well, you can't pay us, we're not going to minister. No, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy say, you can't pay us, we're going to work. Day and night, so we can minister to you. We just want to minister with and alongside and to you. Whatever the cost, sacrificial affection, it's for you. So that's exactly what they do. And this leads us to two applications. The first application is praise God for the sacrificial affection you have received. You and I, if we're a believer in Jesus Christ, have received the greatest sacrificial affection. Amen? Amen. Jesus gave us all the affection we could ever ask for. He came to this earth when we didn't deserve it. He died while we were yet sinners and he rose from the graves so that we could have eternal life in him. That's sacrificial affection greater than anything else. You and I in Christ have the greatest 
sacrificial affection applied to us. How awesome is that? That is incredible. And it's reason to praise God. And not only do I have that, but God's grace abounds in that you and I are part of a body, body of Christ. And each one of us have experienced what? Sacrificial affection of one another, right? It's, it's happening all the time. The band getting up here this morning, sacrificing their time for you, for God, and through that for you and for me. How awesome is that? The mill train. It just shocks me. It's just amazing. That sacrificial affection. It's happening everywhere all the time. And it's just reason to say, God, you're good. You're, you are moving in and around us. It's so, it's so awesome that the Harrises are coming and what we want to do is just say, we love you, we love you, we love you, God has worked through you, let's celebrate, let's, what is that sacrificial affection? It's so good, it's so great. So we need to celebrate that. The next thing we need to do in light of this is pray for your, should say, sacrificial affection to grow right? In the Christian life, there's what's called the holy dissatisfaction. We're satisfied in Christ, but we always want to grow in Christ's likeness, right? Always. So we need to, in light of this passage, say, these guys, they have this sacrificial affection. They're mimicking Christ, and I want to be like Christ. Where can I grow? It's so easy to come, for me, to come to church and say, how are people going to treat me? What are people going to get? What sacrificial affection are people going to show me? But the mindset of the believer is what can I, what sacrificial affection can I show others? What can I give to the body of Christ for God's glory and be well pleasing in his sight? So each of us need to think. We need to praise God for the sacrificial affection we've experienced. Praise God for the ways he's used us to express this sacrificial affection and then say, God, more. I want to be more. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. This is like a key verse. We're going to constantly look to it. Verse 1, chapter 4. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. It is so easy to brag on FBC. Talking to my older brother, Nate, just the other day, and Nate, it's like, you just, you just don't understand, Nate. Your church is garbage compared to FBC. <laughs> it's just, it's so awesome. But yet, he and I both know that FBC, I, you, we have room to grow in this area, right? And how do we do that? We pray for sacrificial affection of Christ to flow through us. It's not going to start with us. It's going to start with Christ. So we need to go to Christ. It's going to start with God. So we need to go to God and say, God, produce this in me. One of the best and worst feelings is when you're sacrificially, someone shows sacrificial affection towards you, and you're like, wow, I never would have thought of that. 
How did they even think that way? Like that's, have you experienced that? No, I'm the only selfish person in the room. All right, so it's like, like you thought it, like where'd that come from? And part of me says, that's awesome. That's Christ flowing through. And part of me is like, man, I need to grow. I have so much room to grow. So we praise God for the sacrificial affection that he gave us and is producing us. And we say, God, produce it more. Produce it more in us. May we, like a loving mother, so longs to give affection to the child that has passed away, long to and strive to give loving affection to one another. So that is the second trait that we see here that you and I, that's Christ, that we can mimic, that we can follow and please God. Now let's move on to the last trait. And the last trait is walk the walk. Walk the walk. And it's continued to say, walk the walk and talk the talk. Look at verse 10. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you, believers. Paul, Timothy, and Silas are not perfect. They're not saying they're perfect, but they strived, right? Like Paul says in Philippians 4, he ran, he strived. They strive to walk the walk. They strive to be holy, set apart from the world, like Christ was obviously set apart from the world. They strive to be righteous and blameless, like Christ was with the power of the Holy Spirit. They were followers of Jesus, and they wanted to walk the walk, and they wanted to talk the talk. Let me say it this way. This is so vital. This is incredibly vital. You know, when Jesus was here on earth, he spoke out vehemently against what? 18 times in the gospel. Jesus spoke out against hypocrisy 18 times in the gospel. And every single time, it was with the most utmost vehemency. I encourage you to read Matthew chapter 23 today. And what are you going to see? You're going to see the word woe, not as in woe, surprise, or woe, that's great, but W-O-E as in woe to you, warning to you, hypocritical Pharisees. And what Jesus has to say about this hypocrisy, people who are not walking the walk, but pretending to, putting on a mask, however you want to say it, Jesus says vehement judgment. Jesus hates it. He loathes it. I mean, he's the truth, right? Jesus is the truth. The opposite of it is hypocrisy. Saying you are the truth, but being nowhere close to it. And Jesus, just read Matthew 23 today. It just speaks with the utmost vehemency against hypocrisy. Against saying, I'm walking the walk, but really not. It's just a Sunday thing. It's just a Wednesday night thing. But if you knew me three, four days out of the week, you would know me. If you saw my heart, you would know me. But these guys, they're striving and dependence on the Holy Spirit to walk the walk. And it pleases God, and God uses them. And they walk the walk, and they talk the talk. Look at verse 11. For you know how, for you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you to his own kingdom and Glory. So previously, Paul uses the illustration of a nursing mother to communicate truth. And here he switches and he begins to use the illustration of a, a godly father to drive home this truth. A godly father will do what? A godly father, like our heavenly father, will discipline their kids. 
right? Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24, he who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. So a godly father, like, a, like the heavenly father, will discipline. A godly father will instruct. A godly father will encourage their children in the way of the Lord. It says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, don't discourage them, but bring them up, encourage them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So this is what a godly father does. And Paul is pointing to this illustration and saying, like a godly father walks the walk concerning their holiness, righteousness, and blamelessness, like a godly father communicates to their kids truth and leads them in the truth, that's how we minister to you, Thessalonians. Like a godly father ministers to his kids. Which leads us to our two last applications of the day. The first is application is pray for discernment. It's so easy sometimes to think we're walking the walk, to think we're talking the talk, and just be deceiving ourselves, right? In so many areas, so what do we need to do? We need to pray for discernment to say, God, open my eyes to where I am not walking the walk, to where I'm not ministering like a godly father, to where I'm not living a life that says, I'm walking the walk of Jesus and I'm talking the talk of Jesus. God, give me, please, this discernment. It's the application I never use. Pray, pray, pray. God, please, Help me to minister in a way that's pleasing to you like this. The next application is rather poignant. Fathers, ask yourself if your name fits. Then pray. What do I mean by that? This, is, this application is specifically for potential fathers, fathers, grandfathers, fathers. Look at verses 11 and 12. Paul uses the fatherly role, the godly fatherly role, to explain how they ministered and everyone else should minister in a way that is pleasing to God and that God uses. And guys, take your finger right now and put your finger on verse 11 where it says, Father, for you know how, like a father, put your finger right there. I see some, I can see you. I, I know, okay? Put your finger right there and in your mind, cross it out. And write your name. Right? For you know, just could Paul say this? Could scripture say this of you and me? For you know how, like John with his children, how Tim with his children, how Shane with his children, just fill in the blank, right? Would your or my name fit? For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom. Does your, would you, would, would my actions as a father, would your actions as a father fit that illustration? In all the ways that it does, we say, Praise God, right? In all the ways that it doesn't, we say, God, forgive me and help me. And God will forgive and God will help us. Now, just in case mothers are feeling left out right now, 
like, John, give me such an encouraging application. Go up to verse 7. But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother. Just take nursing mother and cross it out in your mind and put mother's your name. Right? But we were gentle among you like your name, taking care of our own children, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only gospel, but ourselves. Kids, I know you're feeling left out. Just take your name in both of those spots again and saying, does my name fit? Right? Kids, your parents failed to obey when I said put your finger. Kids, put your finger right on Verse 7, do a better job than your parents. When you see nursing mother in verse 7, put your finger there. Then when you see in verse 11, father, put your finger there and your name belongs there. You and I are all, these are illustrations to say this is how every Christian needs to function. We need to function with gentleness. We need to function with sacrificial affection and we need to make sure we are not hypocrites but that we walk the walk and that we talk the talk. And this is only done through Christ. This is only done through the strength that he provides. So we need to pray, pray, pray. Let's pray. Dear God, you are amazing. We first and foremost thank you, Lord, for the incredible love of Jesus Christ, that while we were yet sinners and doing nothing honorable in your sight, you sent your only begotten son and he willingly came and paid for all of our sins so that if we trust in him, we may be forgiven of all of our sin and receive eternal life and enabled by the Holy Spirit to live like we have eternal life. Dear God, we so thank you for that unchangeable fact. And we thank you, God, for your word, which teaches us. We thank you, Lord, for the example of Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy with the Thessalonians, that they, like your son, Jesus Christ, were gentle. They were, showed sacrificial affection. They walked the walk. They talked the talk. They lived a life of integrity. Dear God, please help us to do the same and bring glory and honor to your name. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.